to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth-seeking. I'm your host, Matt Silver, and our topic for episode five is social influencers in healthcare. In uh, simpler times, patients would take doctors at their word, but these days they'll often say, thank you for your opinion, doc. Now I'm going to do my research and see if I agree with you. And these patients are finding each other on social media to share their personal experiences and seek advice from others in the same situation. And the subset of those patients who organically become leaders and advocates are the people we refer to as social influencers. And to lead today's discussion, our guest host is patient engagement strategist, Allison Kovacs. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thank you, Matt. I am thrilled to be here today. So, Allison, social influence is not necessarily a new concept. Even before the days of social media, brands would often partner with celebrities for the same purpose, but where celebrities would be paid to recite a script, that's not exactly what we're talking about here at all, is it? No, absolutely not. We're really here today to talk about your your everyday person and and people who are living and breathing a health condition and using their experiences and their stories to motivate other people who maybe aren't as um, as ready to make a health decision. And so as a brand, we're looking to partner with them more than anything else. Is that correct? Absolutely. We as a brand, it's it's so important to make sure that we're speaking to our audiences authentically. And what better way to do that than to feature real people themselves? And Allison, in the interview we're about to play, one of your guests was a patient leader and the other was a social marketer, which was really the perfect way to spotlight both sides of the coin in creating a modern social influencer campaign. It was. I think you guys will see how wonderfully uh, the two guests really built off of each other and were able to bring two unique perspectives uh, to the table here today. All right. Well, thanks for doing it, Allison. Let's get to it. Here is Allison's conversation about social influencers in healthcare. Hey, everyone. We are here today to talk about social media influencers, and I couldn't be more excited to be your guest host today and also to learn from our two wonderful guests. I'm joined today by Lisa Deck. She's a patient leader, motivational speaker, and co-founder of an organization called Sisters at Heart. And I'm also joined by Laurel Netalicki from WeGo Health. Lisa and Laurel, welcome to Truth Well Spoken. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Thanks, Allison. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, we are equally as thrilled that you both are here today because this, this idea of social media influencers has really started to become a buzzword in the pharmaceutical advertising industry. And I'm hoping through our conversation today that we can demystify it a bit and and really better understand its value through your experiences. So on that note, let's jump right in. Uh, Let's get started maybe by having you both introduce yourselves to our listeners. Lisa, would you like to get us started? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, My name is Lisa Deck. I live in Massachusetts and I am a patient 
I have suffered four strokes and have a rare disease called Moya Moya disease. Um, it has been a long journey. I have been a patient for over 20 years, but fortunately I have also become a volunteer and an advocate. So starting with strokes at 21, um, I became an advocate, you know, talking to people about how to avoid strokes, how to recognize the symptoms. And that has gone on for many, many years and I've had many roles and it's been great because it allows me to share my story, feel good about it and help others while doing it. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Laurel, how about you? Thanks, Allison. I'm Laurel Nedelicki, and I've been in uh, advertising and digital marketing for the last 20 years. Um, I moved to WeGo Health about six years ago, and it's just been such an honor to work with patient leaders like Lisa and to know that what we're doing every day is to help support um, patient leaders and you know, helping to be that change in healthcare. Um, so I run the business development team at WeGo Health, and my team is responsible for meeting with pharmaceutical agencies and brands, and really to help them design programs um, that help solve challenges and help them to meet their consumer um, objectives and, and strategic imperatives. So really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I couldn't think of two better people to be speaking with today around this topic. I'm, I'm so excited and, and particularly to learn from your experiences. So let's jump right in. Um, I was thinking, Lisa, maybe we could start by um, learning a little bit more about your experience, both with stroke and Moya Moya, but specifically, you know, how those experiences got you started as a patient leader. Sure. It's it's interesting because when I had my first stroke, we can look back and there was no um, digital content. There was no Internet. Um, so it was really I, I guess there was, but nobody was really using it. So things have changed dramatically from when I was first a patient to five years ago when I had my fourth stroke. And, and for that, um, when I was diagnosed with Moya Moya disease, I had to have two brain surgeries. Um, so those were, of course, quite challenging but it did make me realize that I could turn online for support. And it was interesting just to learn what existed, you know, that there were Facebook pages with patients and there was um, group support that you could find looking on the internet and looking digitally. And I think from there, it provided a way for me to start sharing my story in a different way um, with digital content and really allowing people to, to see what I've experienced. And I've always made the joke that, you know, I'm really a expert at stroke and now Moya Moya disease, but I do think I've accidentally become an accident. Uh, I've accidentally become an expert in advocacy. And I guess that's the idea of being a patient leader. And to me, what that means is really sharing the experiences I've had with other patients and we've taken that even farther to share them with healthcare companies. So I can reflect on how it felt to go to the hospital and I can tell fellow patients about that and what they might need to do to prepare. But I also can tell marketing companies or others that here's why the hospital was really good. Here's what they did. And it, it, it really validates the experiences that I went through and gives me a way to give back to others to help make it better for the people coming behind me. Ah, I 
think that's that's fantastic insight. And you know, the idea of almost accidentally stepping into this role is 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 really interesting as we think about you know the the impact that people like yourself can have on on others and and learning about their experiences. So it's interesting, right? So you you mentioned that you know you you had strokes to begin with, and then found out about Moya Moya later on. And I was wondering how are these two patient communities either similar or, or different from each other? So again, I was 21 years old when I had my first stroke. I was about to graduate from college and the first hospital didn't know what was happening. Eventually I was diagnosed. And at the time, all I wanted was peer support and I could not find it. Um, I think it was a different world in a way, but they sent me to stroke support groups and the youngest person there was in their 60s and I was 21. So I really didn't have a community. I didn't really have a support. And again, this was in 1997. And I look at it now because there is a huge stroke community available. And it's a bummer for me. However, I was able to kind of find my own way to get supportive um, community. So interestingly, at the time, the stroke community was pretty non-existent that I could find. But I did find others. And, and now that I look at it, the stroke community is huge because stroke is a major big illness and disease that happens. And I think awareness has grown over the time being. So the connection between the diseases, if you aren't sure, is that Moya Moya disease is a rare disease that causes narrowing of the middle cerebral artery. And when that happens, patients have strokes. So it's interesting, too, because Moya Moya is a rare disease, so there are a lot fewer patients. And I sometimes look at it that the patients of rare diseases today are similar to stroke patients 20 years ago in that they're just trying to get their voices heard. They're trying to raise awareness. They're trying to educate. Um, so interestingly, as I've been talking about this for so many years, people do turn to me to get advice. I mean, anybody that Anybody I know, if somebody has a stroke, they call me to talk to them. And I think it's just giving that comfort. But in doing that, it does, I guess, make me an expert in what stroke patients and Moya Moya patients are looking for. And that's where this whole idea of advocacy and sharing my experience to impact healthcare has come from. Yeah, absolutely. And Laurel, were you going to say something? I saw you light up. <laughs> No, I think, you know, Lisa is a perfect example of, you know, the hundreds of thousands of other patient leaders out there that are like her. And, you know, the many, many, we call them activated patients who are out there trying to learn about their conditions and looking for support and wanting to hear other stories are the folks that are following um, people like Lisa. And so, to Lisa, you know, just kudos for paving the way in the stroke community. And um, I'm sure that you were instrumental in, you know, shaping those communities that exist today. Yeah, and I'm I'm so excited to see, you know, and to follow you and see how you can really, you know, elevate the the awareness within the Moya Moya community um, as well, and really leaning on, you know, your experiences paving the way in the stroke community. Thank you. Yeah, so on that note, what would you say is the most rewarding part of being a patient leader? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think there's two things. One, I, 
of course, it's helping others. I think helping others in in realizing that everything you went through can matter. I think that really um, is rewarding for me. And then secondly, it's I, I guess it's knowing that by doing it's kind of the same, but knowing that by sharing my story, by talking to others, by being a leader, I can help the people who come behind me, the patients, mm-hmm. you know, who have moya moya disease or who suffer a stroke. And th- those are the the emails that I get when somebody says, you know, you you inspired me when I was at my worst. I mean, that that's why I do it. Um, there's, of course, the part about I have two kids and I think for them to see me taking a terrible situation and making something good out of it also helps. Um so I guess it's kind of those two pieces, helping others and being an example for my children. That's wonderful. Now, I'm hoping that you and Laurel can help me out with something. So the, the topic of today's conversation is all around social media influencers, but I've heard many terms that are used to describe someone like yourself, Lisa. So there's patient <laughs> leader, social influencer, patient influencer, influencer marketing. The list really could go on and on. And I was just wondering, you know, where you see yourself fit on this spectrum and and how it might differ from some of the other words that have been floating around in this space. You know, it's very interesting because I think um, somebody asked me this recently, and I tend to say a patient leader. Um, It even feels like I'm bragging a little bit by saying that because I don't really I am a leader, I should say. I do recognize that I'm a leader, but it does seem like I'm bragging sometimes. And when you say influencer, I think that word sometimes makes me feel like untrustworthy, um, an influencer. Now, I get it from the marketing perspective. Influencer sounds much more sellable, much more important than leader. So it is an interesting term. And I'd be curious because most of my most of my fellow leaders call themselves leaders, but I would be curious to see how many identify as an influencer and if that will shift as time goes on, because it seems like that is a, a little bit of a newer word. And again, as we're intersecting with the healthcare community and the pharmaceutical community, I think influencer has a little bit more power to that group. Yeah, I would add to that. So um, we've actually surveyed our members to understand, you know, how would you prefer to be referred to as a leader within the community? And what we hear is, you know, overall, you know, exactly what Lisa said. These these advocates don't necessarily want to influence anyone um, about their health decisions, but rather they want to be a source. They want to educate, you know, and provide support to their followers. So I think while we in the industry um, refer to these types of campaigns and working with patient leaders like Lisa as influencer marketing campaigns, I think that's more industry jargon and that the patients themselves would prefer to be called um, patient leaders or advocates. Um, so that's kind of what we're seeing uh, across the board with the majority of the patient leaders that we work with. 
Yeah, that that's great and and really interesting as well. And I think there's something to be said in taking the lead from the patient leaders themselves and the communities. There's a lot of value in understanding how you guys view yourselves and how the community then in turn views yourselves, um, especially as we're thinking about it from an industry perspective, even in what we're calling this. Great insight. Um, and I was hoping you can help me out again with an, another word and and that's reach. So we have listeners from around the globe who may have different understandings of this idea of reach. And I was wondering what reach means to you, Lisa, as a patient leader, but also to you, Laurel, as someone who works with patient leaders. So it's interesting, the word reach, because, you know, for a while, once you kind of start, um, you know, putting content out into the universe. You kind of look at the numbers. You look at reach. How many people are seeing this? How many people are responding? And I have a perfect example. I can look at my stroke community, and that's so many more people than the Moya Moya community just in numbers alone. And that's an interesting um, point because in the rare disease community, rare diseases are just that. They're rare. They're ultra rare. So you don't have the numbers. So reach needs to have a little bit of a different um, explanation depending on the audience you're talking about. And again, I think, is it that something is seen? Is it that something reacted to? Um, for me, reach really looks at who is taking action, not just who's viewing. Um, it seems like you want something to actually take place. Um, so that's kind of how I look at reach. And I think it's very important to look at the audience. So if you are doing something for, you know, heart disease or stroke, which are very, very big buckets of people, it's going to be different than you're looking at a smaller group like rare disease. Yeah. And can you talk to me a little bit about some of those differences, uh, you know, between the larger disease states uh, versus something that might be a little bit smaller or a rare disease? Sure. I mean, I think when you're talking about um, I, th I think you're looking for you're looking for different outcomes. So for me, when I'm looking at heart disease and stroke, again, 20 years ago, I was trying to let people know that what appears to be a healthy 21 year old can have a stroke because I walked in there with all the typical symptoms and I had no idea of that. So awareness was huge. Education right. was huge. And now you look at rare disease and that's where we are now today. So, again, if I put something out, you know, content out and it talks about heart disease, there's so many more people who have experienced that, who can react to that and, and get back to me or react to what I'm sharing, where in the rare disease community, it's much harder to get that engagement, primarily because it's a smaller group. And it's, you know, it, it's just at the beginning of sharing all of this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I'm going to respond more from, you know, in thinking of running influencer marketing campaigns and you know, I have conversations every day with with people in industry and their gut reaction when you talk about influencer marketing campaigns is, well, how many how many people do the patient leaders reach? We need to make sure we have somebody that reaches the masses and a lot of people. And actually, what we find is the patient leaders in general are more on the nano and micro level. Um, there's definitely those macro level influencers or patient leaders out there. But what we find is, you know, the patient leaders that have a smaller following tend to have a more trust with those followers because 
they're able to collaborate with them more one-on-one because they're not, you know, having 50,000 followers, but maybe they have 10,000 followers and it's more manageable. Um, so we always recommend, you know, don't, don't look at reaches. How many followers does this patient leader have when you're thinking about an influencer marketing campaign? Think about their content. So a lot of brands go and work with celebrities because they may be diagnosed with a condition, but those celebrities are not online sharing their stories, talking about their condition. That's not their primary focus on social media. Where with patient leaders, that's exactly what they're focused on. They're sharing their stories, they're educating patients. So their followers are much more likely to have the conditions themselves or be a, a caregiver for someone with that condition. So we all know that, you know, when you run these types of campaigns, it and especially with pharma, organic's not the way to go. Um, you know, you want to run sponsored campaigns and then be able to scale that audience up. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to do that, um, to scale the audience, to reach the right people. Um, but my advice is, you know, don't always be thinking about reach as the primary factor in selecting patient leaders to work with for your influencer marketing campaigns. You know, I'm going to jump in there for one second. It's interesting you talk about that um, in terms of followers or not. I know myself and I've talked to some other patient leaders um, who do this and are very cautious about reach because they want to be authentic. They want to be honest. They want to be trustworthy. And, you know, I am not one just to post something for somebody else if I don't know it's coming from a trusted source, because I want the people that turn to me, I want them to trust me. And so I definitely want to make sure it makes sense. And I think when you're looking at it from the industry side, to know that they, that a patient leader has a trusted group, your ad or your piece might be even more influential within that smaller group because it is coming from a trusted source as opposed to somebody who just throws anything on there. Um, so yeah, I think that's a different way to look at reach as well in terms of, you know, is it coming from somebody who is somebody who you can trust and know exactly what they're saying as opposed to somebody who's just repeating and, and not really thinking about the content they share. Yeah, you both make great points. I mean, really thinking about reach or even rethinking it in terms of the type of content that you're putting out there, the ability of a leader to engage with their audience and, and this idea of authenticity and trust and, and really using that to, to build a relationship are, I think, three really great things for us to be considering. Now, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a pandemic-related question, knowing the, the time frame that we, we are all in today. And I was wondering, you know, how, if at all, has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted reach? And I know it's an interesting thought, given that a lot of what we're talking about right now is happening on social media and is already happening digitally. But I was wondering if there's anything that you have noticed that's changed over the past year or so. I can jump in on that. I think what we've seen is a lot more activity, if anything, um, and patients turning to one another on social media for support in navigating 
this condition and you know especially those with chronic illnesses who have been stuck in their homes and not able to leave um we just had a panel with a multiple myeloma patient who has not left her home for over a year and has not even been able to see her children for over a year because of her condition so they turned to to social media as a way to be able to communicate um, to look for support in navigating, you know, these challenges that, that everyone's been facing during this pandemic. I think I can um, also comment on that. And I think there's that side of it, which, you know, it has been so tough for so many people. And there are, like you said, there's so many people in different chronic communities or rare disease communities that have had to take extra precautions because of their conditions. And so they have somewhat had a little bit of a um, a tougher time potentially than, you know, people who don't have these chronic conditions. Um, but again, I think the whole world has started to look at accessibility. And I think that has been really interesting um, for people who can't travel or who can't, um, you know, go into work because of their conditions. I think opportunities have opened up in the home, you know, digital opportunities that um, have allowed people to do more things. Um, interestingly, I feel like I've been busier than ever. And I think it's because I don't have to travel. I don't have travel time. There's plenty of time, um, not plenty of time, but there's more time for me to do more things because I'm not traveling in between meetings. And the other thing um, that has been very interesting in the um, in our community of patient leaders and patients is cross-condition and looking at things um, on an overall level. So yes, I have Moya Moya disease, but somebody who has multiple sclerosis might have very similar things to me and we might um, join together on a cause. And, and that is something that I think is changing too, because you can look at issues that affect all illnesses and you can advocate on those and you can talk about it. And so that has been another thing I've seen really in the last year, there's been a lot more um, communication between conditions and then the accessibility issue, which has opened up some opportunities for um, chronic illness and patients overall. That's wonderful. Thank you both uh, for, for your insight into that and, and really reflecting on the experiences and what you've seen over the past year. Now, I was hoping we could switch gears to a topic that's really top of mind for many of our listeners, and that's advice for pharmaceutical advertising agencies. I think we are looking to engage with patient leaders a lot more frequently than we have been in the past, and would love to learn from you guys about some best practices and any advice that, that you guys might have. Now, I do have a few questions from our listeners, but I also want to open it to you guys if there's anything particular that comes to mind before I jump into my questions. I can jump in. I think one of the biggest challenges that we face when talking with agencies and brands about running these types of influencer uh, marketing campaigns with patient leaders is to really be thinking about your criteria. So right out the gate, the first thing we hear is, oh, the patient influencer absolutely has to be on our brand in order for us to work with them or to run a campaign with them. And something that's really important to remember is these patient leaders are talking with their followers about 
all sorts of treatment options. And it's not necessarily the treatment option that's best for them, but it could be, you know, a treatment option that would be good for one of their other, you know, or some of their other followers. So they're really the opinion leaders um, within the patient community. So you wouldn't go to a, a KOL on the HCP side and say, oh, well, you have to be diagnosed with this condition in order to be able to speak to it. Um, so when when thinking about patient influencers and who you want to work with, um, you don't necessarily have to have them be on the treatment. And we've run many, many campaigns, um, in fact, the majority where that was not required by MLR team. So if I were to give a piece of advice um, right out the gate, that's something that's top of mind and, and something that we always try to encourage um, our contacts to think about when they're thinking about the rec the criteria of who they want to work with. I can actually speak to that because there was a request I had and it was for a symptom that I had and I did not use that brand. But again, it was for the symptom and, you know, I even debated, oh, I don't know if this is right for me. And it did seem to work. And I was very surprised by that. But again, I think it it turns to what have you experienced? Have you had this symptom? And if you had, here's a resource for you to look at. And it pointed to, you know, a website. And so I do think it is an interesting um, look when you're coming in as the patient leader. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting perspective and actually is a good segue into one of the, the questions from our listeners. And, and that's really around how a pharmaceutical or a health brand can participate in social outreach or partner with a patient leader without getting in the way of the great work that you're already doing as a leader. I'm thinking about my answer. I mean, I think making it easy um, is always helpful. So, you know, if the um, directions are cl clearly outlined for you and it's a very specific way to do it, I think that generally speaking, patient leaders want to help. And so if they have the opportunity and they can make it work, it seems to be great for them. That being said, we are all busy and you never know with health you know, the condition of your health if you are a patient. So I think a little bit of flexibility is always important. I would add to, you know, Lisa shared earlier on about trust and authenticity and how what any patient leader is not going to want to share something on their handles um, or within their, you know, with any content that they're creating that's not coming from their own voice and not something that they would say themselves. So, um, I think when 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 you say without getting in the way, how can they work with patient leaders without getting in the way? Um, when you're building out your creative strategy, just really making sure that you're incorporating um, the patient leader's own voice and their own thoughts into the creative that you build so that it does have that authenticity and trust and that it also um, is in line with what they would organically post themselves on their social handles. You know, I love that. And I think the patient voice is so important. And I think that's what empowers patients is that if your voice is heard, you're much more likely to be willing to do something. So I think perhaps partnering from the beginning, um, as you were talking about creating a campaign, 
you know, maybe it's, I know you have to create the campaign and then get the patient involved, but perhaps once that patient comes in, you engage them and listen to their voice. Because I do think that, you know, through the years, patient voice isn't listened to, and now it's starting to be listened to. And so by by focusing on that and being a team and working together, and you come up with your own goals, and then you can combine them together. And I think that makes it very successful. Yeah, completely agree, Lisa. Yeah, I absolutely love that. On the industry side, we we call it co-creation and this idea of bringing in people who are living with the health condition as early as possible to really help us shape the work that we're doing and putting out there. And I think you raise a great point that there's there's more work to be done um, and that we need to be working harder to to bring in that perspective earlier and, and through that throughout the entire process. So that, that's a really great consideration for us. And you actually, both of your answers helped answer some of the other questions that I had on my list. So thank you for that. <laughs> There's um, something, um, another, you know, something I've been thinking about a lot is we hear from patients all the time. You know, if you look at a brand's website and you look at all the resources that they have, it's doctor discussion, guide, it's copay card, it's this or that. What is most important to you? What do you, what will you engage with? And we hear over and over and over again that they want to see patient stories. They want to hear patient stories. But when you talk with a brand manager or an agency about, you know, the KPIs of a program and how will you measure success, it's usually those downloads, you know, CRM signups, doctor discussion download, but what the patients want is patient stories. So, you know, rethinking what those KPIs are um, and how those align to what patients are demanding. Um, you know, there's a lot of value, I think, in, in those patient story views that I'm sure encourage that doctor-patient um, dialogue that everyone's seeking. So I think, you know, just when you're thinking through the KPIs of the program and to your point, Allison, you know, about talking to patients early on and co-designing the program, have them view, have patients and patient leaders view the resources um, that the brand has and really narrow down what patients, what resonates best with patients and, you know, rethinking your KPIs to align to what patients want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And definitely a lot of food for thought. There's a lot percolating <laughs> in my mind right now of different different ways to think about approaching this type of work. So so thank you for for not holding back. <laughs> right. Um, so we've been talking for a while and I am so appreciative for all of the wisdom that you've been imparting on, on myself and our listeners. And it, it's really such great advice for us to consider. But now that we're getting close to wrapping up, um, I wanted to pass the virtual microphone off to you both to share either any final words of wisdom with us that you haven't shared or, or anything that your listeners may find interesting. Sure, I can jump in. This is Lisa again, and um, thank you for this opportunity. I think sharing the patient voice and the patient perspective in this topic has been an honor for me, and hopefully I'm doing it justice for the other patient leaders that exist. Um, but I think it is something that through the years, 
there has been a shift. I know because years ago this didn't exist. And looking at patients for their input, for their stories, for their advice, and for sharing that as a influencer or as a leader certainly has its benefits. Um, and I think I hear that when I do different projects, you know, um, I have had different opportunities to do different projects or different things that I've been able to share and it does help others and you get those that feedback that you're helping others and that's what really matters. Um, I do want to mention, you know, I have Moya Moya disease and so I'm on the board of the Moya Moya Foundation. And like I mentioned, stroke has much attention, but Moya Moya disease doesn't quite yet. So for anybody listening, if you want to learn more, please um, check out the website. It's moyamoya-foundation.org. And we're just trying to educate and advocate so people know about this illness and they can diagnose it and they can try to find a cure someday. So thank you so much for having me again. Of course, you're you're very welcome. And it, it's been such a pleasure. And you certainly have my follow after this conversation. I, I really, you know, wish you the best of luck as you continue in your endeavors. And I'm really excited to follow along on social media. Um, this is this is great. I'm so happy that this has brought us together. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. And Laurel, any um, any final advice or, or parting thoughts from you? Yes, I think, you know, every Every brand should be if considering or if not, you know, working with patient leaders like Lisa with all, you know, with their consumer initiatives. And we know that these influencer marketing campaigns are making a big impact for brands um, that we work with, certainly, and are, you know, outperforming other tactics like um, paid search, you know, their own social media campaigns, just because the trust and authenticity that goes along with the messaging and um, being able to reach those followers of the patient leaders that they work with. Um, we we survey patients every year um, and we want, really want to understand the behaviors of patients and, and how patient leaders can change behavior. And we find that in that, those survey results that nine out of 10 patients, um, if they see something th that's about a specific medication or something about their health condition, that nine out of 10 patients will go and talk with their healthcare provider about it if it comes from someone that they see as influential. So, you know, these campaigns, influencer marketing historically has been known as being more of a, a warm and fuzzy play, um, but the campaigns nowadays are really making a big impact um, and you know, really helping brands to hit the KPIs um, and their business objectives much more so than ever before. So you know, definitely something that every brand should be considering for their consumer plans. That's great. Um, and, you know, like I said, Lisa and Laurel, I, I can't thank you enough for being here today. It was it was such a pleasure speaking with you. Certainly the highlight of my day by far. Um, and I've learned so much more about patient leaders and really how we can partner with you more effectively. And I think more importantly, authentically in a way that builds that trust. And I'm sure that our listeners will find your perspective equally as valuable. But thank you so much again for, for being our guest today on Truth Well Spoken. My thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. It was a pleasure. 
That's all we've got for today. Thanks again to Allison Kovacs for being our guest host. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice and let us know what you'd like to hear on a future episode by emailing podcast at mccann.com. My fellow podcast producers are Abby Nyken, Steve Hoffman, and Andy Fontana. Until next time, I'm Matt Silver, and this has been Truth Well Spoken. <laughs>